Today on Inland Journal and the Inland Journal podcast, we celebrate 40 years of Spokane Public Radio programming with a 1994 documentary, A Tom Foley Retrospective. At a time when many decry the frayed nature of our public discourse, it's instructive to remember that the U.S. has had other difficult political times. One was in 1994, when a Republican wave led by Newt Gingrich turned a Democratic majority out of Congress. Spokane's Tom Foley became the first Speaker of the House to lose his congressional seat. A month or so after that election, I produced a documentary that looked back at Tom Foley's 30 years in Congress from his first campaign in 1964 to the end of his tenure. We'll replay that today on Inland Journal. The quality of the recording isn't as good as it was then, but we hope you'll enjoy looking back. On November 9, 1994, Tom Foley began the last stretch of his congressional career as a lame duck Speaker of the House. It was uh, clearly uh, the best campaign I have ever waged. It had more support, more outpouring of volunteers, more commitment than any of the past. Uh, But uh, it appears to me that when all the votes are counted, we may fall a few votes short. This is a Tom Foley retrospective. I'm Doug Nadvornik. During the next half hour, we'll look at Mr. Foley's career, a career that started in 1964 with a Democratic wave and ended in 1994 with a Republican rush. You'll hear the voices of Mr. Foley and of his friends and constituents who watched him rise to the speakership. Tom Foley was one of the dozens of new Democrats who came to Congress in 1964 when President Lyndon Johnson rolled over Republican Barry Goldwater. Mr. Foley was a 35-year-old lawyer serving as counsel to a congressional committee when his mentor, Washington Senator Henry Jackson, and some friends convinced him to run for Congress in his home district. The opponent was Wenatchee Republican Walt Horan, who had served the district for 22 years. Horan was 65 and the number two Republican on the powerful House Appropriations Committee. Walt was not that well, and Sally Horan, his wife, was a a tremendous asset to Walter Rand. Justin Quackenbush is a federal judge in Spokane who served as Tom Foley's first campaign chairman. There was the talk that that Sally uh, uh, should have been the candidate instead of, of Walt, but he was active, uh, he and Sally. There was a lot of question. Tom hadn't been particularly active in politics up to that point, and there was a lot of question whether he could win. Jack Garrity, now mayor of Spokane, was a friend of Tom Foley's. He was elected Spokane County Commissioner in 1964. And really in the community it was a situation uh, where, uh, in a way, it was time for change. The campaign slogan in 1964 was Tom Foley, our new man in Congress. We had a lot of billboards, showed him uh, tall and erect as he uh, was with a crew cut. Uh, walking down the steps of the United States Capitol with a briefcase in his hand. Tom had a uh, very strong family connection in Spokane. Spokane attorney Scott Lukens has also chaired many of Tom Foley's congressional campaigns. The the Higgins family uh, uh, and uh, had come in from the Heartline area and um, and so he had uncles and parents, and his father had a, just a terribly strong reputation as a very fair-minded and a very uh, uh, good judge, and so that uh, Tom had some advantages going. We had a uh, the first televised political dinner. Uh, we 
had an amazing turnout in the, I think, Marie that room at the uh, Davenport Hotel, and we televised it live. We had Scoop and Senator Magnuson, but we had a, a fantastic turnout at that uh, banquet, and of course, Tom spoke, and, and uh, it was one of the uh, turning points in that 64 campaign. At that time, there wasn't nearly the, the uh, amount of publicity that, that you find uh, today. There were not uh, paid advertisements. Uh, I don't recall that other than newspaper ads that we uh, spent any money for, for television, although uh, we did go on in, in sort of a talk show. Uh, well, it wasn't talk. It was question and answer at that time. The best thing we did in that 64 campaign was to rent TV time at KXLY for two or three nights uh, the week before the uh, 64 election. And it was a call-in show. Bob Welch, who uh, was a strong Tom Foley supporter, uh, MC'd it in effect. And it, we had a bank of phones, and people would call in, and, and those questions directed to Tom uh, were read verbatim, there was no editing, and Bob would read the question and then ask follow-up questions to Tom, and, and uh, of course, I think Tom really uh, surprised the people of this district with the knowledge and background that he had. I remember I said that I thought there were new issues and new problems, that he had served the district well, that he was uh, understandably popular, uh, that he had uh, the respect and admiration of uh, voters, and, and that's why he had been elected and re-elected to the Congress. In fact, what he said, that is Walter Rand, my opponent, said uh, three nights before election night uh, was that he had never been in a cleaner campaign in 22 years in, in politics. Tom Foley won that 1964 election, collecting about 55% of the vote. When I... Uh, was elected. Uh, I went back to uh, Washington, D.C., and he came on the floor uh, the day I was sworn in, and he took me uh, into the Democratic and, more important, the Republican cloakrooms. <laughs> he was a Republican, of course, and introduced me as his successor. And uh, I thought that was a, a very generous and a wonderful thing to do. That was the start of Tom Foley's congressional career. He was one of four Washington Democrats who went to the other Washington as part of the Johnson landslide. Mr. Foley was appointed to the House Agriculture and Interior Committees and started to work on farm and water issues. Bill First was his press secretary. The first major project that he got involved in, two or three things, one was the third powerhouse at Grand Coulee Dam. He was the principal uh, author of the legislation authorizing the third powerhouse of Grand Coulee Dam, the principal author in the House. Senators Magnuson and Jackson were the authors in the, in the Senate. And then also he, he played a role as sort of a, a loyal lieutenant for uh, Senator Jackson in protecting the Northwest against diverting uh, water from the Columbia River to California. Lataw Washington farmer Gordon Letterer met Tom Foley in the fall of 1964. He says the new congressman already had a good feel for agriculture issues. More than I had uh, really uh, thought that he would. Uh, he'd uh, studied up on it evidently quite a bit when he was working with uh, Scoop Jackson 
and he knew a lot about farm issues. I've uh, one thing about with him that I've noticed over the years is how he can remember things. Uh, photographic mind, I guess, uh, because he can really remember names. He remembers people, um, remembers issues, uh, and uh, it's, it, he amazes me that way. Tom Foley ran for re-election for the first time in 1966. He was challenged by Republican Dorothy Powers, a journalist who also challenged Walt Horan in the Republican primary of 1960. Justin Clackenbush recalls Ms. Powers' unique way of distributing what she called her positive plan. She had a lot of money uh, available to her, and, and we didn't have that much available yet. Uh, she delivered a record door-to-door -door of uh, her positions in, and uh, challenging some of Tom's positions on the issues. It was, there was not a bit of incivility in that campaign. It was a high-level, discuss-the-issues campaign. Former Vice President Richard Nixon came to Spokane that year to campaign for Ms. Powers, and Justin Quackenbush remembers a visit by Senator Robert Kennedy on behalf of his candidate. We had it out at the community college out on uh, East Trent. Tremendous turnout. Uh, Senator Kennedy had just barely come out against the war in Vietnam, a very unpopular position in 1966. And Spokane and Eastern Washington, to some extent, in those days, uh, middle of the road to conservative. Uh, I remember we walked on eggshells around that Vietnam issue in that 66 campaign. Tom Foley won in 1966 and again in 68, in 1970, 72, and 74. In 1974, he was named chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, and that was the start of Mr. Foley's rise through the House leadership. From the very beginning, he, imp he impressed uh, his peers, if, if I can uh, use that word to describe his fellow congressmen. Eastern Washington University government professor Robert Harold. I think he impressed his peers as being a... Uh, um, a bright, uh, uh, reasonable, responsible, uh, and, uh, and a colleague. And, and I and I and I use the word colleague uh, um, with intent. I mean, I think that Foley, from the beginning, was an institutionalist. He believed in the institution. Uh, he believed that there were certain social and political protocols that necessarily should be followed, and uh, uh, those stood him well uh, uh, on more than one occasion. He was voted by all the members of the Congress of both parties as the most uh, respected uh, member in the Congress, and I, and I don't think that was by some accident. In 1976, Mr. Foley was elected chairman of the House Democratic Caucus. Five years later, he was named House Majority Whip, the number three position in the House. His then press secretary, Bill First, says Mr. Foley took advantage not only of his hard work, but also of some good luck. The thing that put him on the way to being a majority whip was at that time, now it's elective, at that time it was appointed by the speaker and the majority leader, uh, was that <clears throat> the a whole series of things happened in the 1980 election. The, uh, Al Ullman of uh, Oregon was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, and he was defeated. And the next most senior person was Dan Rostenkowski of Chicago. Um, uh, John Bradamus of South Bend, Indiana, was the majority whip. He was defeated. And the chief deputy whip was also Dan Rosinkowski. 
And so Rostenkowski had to make a choice. Did he want to become WIP, or did he want to become chairman of the Ways and Means Committee? And it was, it was a difficult choice. And he decided on taking the um, uh, Ways and Means chairmanship. So, you know, Tom, uh, you know, uh, I guess talked to this, you know, speaker and the majority leader to see if he could be appointed WIP. He was. And that was the start up the leadership ladder. A ladder that took him to House Majority Leader in 1986 after Tip O'Neill left the Congress and finally to the pinnacle, Speaker of the House, after Jim Wright resigned the position in 1989. During Mr. Foley's rise to the top of the House leadership, Bill First says he didn't see much change in the way Mr. Foley approached his job. He took his job very seriously. And uh, he, he was always concerned, you know, thoughtfully concerned about people and how, you know, whether any action that he took would offend somebody or how it would impact on somebody. And uh, he, he, I thought he was, he was very conscientious about that as, you know, as long as I knew him. You know, I can remember, I uh, remember one time that I, uh, you know, as a press secretary, you're, you tend to, uh, uh, you know, act like a sort of like a small town, uh, P.T. Barnum, you know, you're trying to pump up the boss in every possible way you can. And, and so during one of the campaigns, I, I was trying to talk him into taking a more uh, uh, a grandstand approach on a health care uh, issue. And I was pressing him and pressing him. He was resisting and resisting. And then finally he said to me, he says, look, Bill, if there's one vote I want to get in this election, it's my own which was a beautiful statement, you know. I said, okay, boss, I get the, I get the message. I did not imagine when I first ran for Congress that I would possibly become the speaker, and that, although I think anybody in the House uh, generally would like to think about reaching the, uh, the speakership. In late 1990, Tom Foley had had a year to think about his new position. In an interview, he talked about what it meant to him. It's a tremendous honor. I've always uh, been conscious of that. Uh, uh, there have been uh, uh, 48 other speakers in the history of the, of the, uh, of the country. Uh, I, uh, I have a sense of responsibility that that brings and a sense of, uh, of gratitude to, uh, to the colleagues of the Congress that elected me speaker. Scott Lukens was in the nation's capital when his longtime friend was sworn in as speaker. It was an awkward day in another sense that uh, the former speaker was leaving the office in uh, some humiliation uh, there, and so that that was detracting a little bit from, uh, from Tom's uh, uh, movement up to be speaker. But uh, he, uh, he gave a, a, a very, uh, a, what I... Uh, guess I'd call it a very low-key acceptance speech. But at the same time, Mr. Lucan says, there was room for levity. Thomas always got along uh, very well with, uh, with Bob Michaels, uh, who is the uh, minority leader, or was the minority well, I guess he still is for the next few days. Uh, and uh, Bob Michaels uh, was uh, uh, nominated, as uh, was Tom, to be Speaker of the House, but it was clear that... Uh, that he didn't have the votes because there are more Democrats than than uh, than Republicans in the House. But uh, Bob Michaels got up and gave a speech, and he said, "I've run for this office uh, 
eight times now, and I'm yet to get a single vote from across the aisle. <laughs> and and Tom, in answer, said, and uh, and you never will. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he was elected, but it was a very humorous uh, uh, commentary. However, Tom Foley's primary job then was not humorous. He says he had to keep the house from tearing itself apart. In my, in my experience, uh, in 26 years, were relations more frayed and uh, and uh, bitter at that time. And I I, I felt uh, very much that I had a special responsibility in trying to uh, bring some uh, a sense of healing to the, to the party relationships in the House because you cannot, we're obviously going to have periods of partisanship, that's what the two parties are about, is disagreeing over alternatives for the country. But when it becomes so abrasive and so personal and hostile that uh, it makes it very difficult for people to work together, then, then it becomes uh, an inhibition to parliamentary uh, activity. Some in his district argued Tom Foley's new leadership position hurt his ability to serve his district, but the speaker disagreed. The ability to represent the district is probably enhanced, no, I won't say probably, clearly enhanced by holding uh, a leadership position in either party. Bob Michael, the Republican leader of the House, is able to represent Peoria, Illinois uh, more effectively and uh, more efficiently because he's a Republican leader. It just goes without saying that although each member has one vote and is equal in that sense, that the position of, of being a Republican or Democratic leader gets greater attention to what your constituents' uh, position is as you enunciate it. I mean, I don't have to shout or bang the table usually. On the other hand, it doesn't mean that you get everything you want or that you can just put in a request for uh, a law to be changed or uh, an appropriation to be made and it's automatic. That's not, that's not true. Good morning, everybody. Are all set? Well, first of all, I want to welcome Mr. Foley back to the district. Uh, uh, the campaign probably starts today. Uh, now that he's back. On October 12, 1994, George Nethercutt lobbed the first official volley of his campaign against Tom Foley. The changing political and social climate, he said, made it clear that Mr. Foley was no longer the man for the job. People are dissatisfied with the way the country is going. I mean, that's the, we've heard a lot of that, but I, I uh, have that uh, echoed to me many times over the course of the campaign. They have not been satisfied with the, what they feel is a more pervasive influence of government these days, I think in a, a post-Bill Clinton election, I think they feel greater threat by the current administration than they have in past administrations. I think there's an uncomfortable feeling with uh, long-term career politicians, uh, and I don't say that just because Mr. Foley's been there for a long time, but, but I think just in general people are saying, these guys have been there, these men and women have been there for a long, long time, and let's get some new blood and try a different approach to governing. And and so uh, the combination of things that Mr. Foley represents and has represented uh, are, are not necessarily in his favor. And Mr. Foley felt that. He started his campaign late and fell a dozen or more points behind in media polls. He gave the job of handling his media campaign to a New York firm that took a more aggressive stance than past Foley campaigns had. George Nethercutt says we need a listener, not a speaker. So listen to Nethercutt's positions for the Kasich bill to cut Medicare by $20 billion. The voters of the 5th District weren't used to such strong ads from the Speaker, and though many considered them tame compared to ads aired in other parts of the country, Tom Foley found himself having to defend his tactics. I haven't uh, 
in any of the uh, advertising or statements I've made uh, criticize the personality or character of my opponent uh, or cast any aspersions on him or his family. Obviously, uh, I have discussed issues, and I've discussed them vigorously because I think it is important uh, for the public to know where uh, we both stand on issues, education issues, issues dealing with agriculture, issues dealing with crime and law enforcement, issues dealing with the budget, the deficit, and the economic future of the country. Tom Foley came back and drew even in the later media polls, but on election night, he lost the first campaign of his life. But the final result is, as it appears to me now, the 5th Congressional District of Washington will have elected a new representative in Congress. Uh, so first of all, again, let me now congratulate George Nethercutt uh, and to promise him the full support of my office uh, in the coming two months of transition. I wrote him a, a, a letter and after the election and told him uh, that with dignity he began his, camp, his long professional life and with dignity he closed it. Father Frank Costello is a political scientist at Gonzaga University and a longtime friend of Tom Foley. And I, uh, I told him that he, his um, term in office reminded me of a portion of a, a verse from America the Beautiful, that each success be nobleness. And I think he, he, he exhibited that for me. Many, including Mr. Foley's former campaign manager, Justin Quackenbush, believe that, in a strange way, this was the right time for Tom Foley to leave Congress. While I'm sure he would prefer to have been reelected, uh, if there is a right time to lose an election with the uh, uh, Republicans taking over the House, with Newt Gin Ginrich being the Speaker, uh, and Tom being uh, at best the, the minority leader. Uh, this is just my uh, personal view that if there is a good time to lose an election, uh, this was the, the right time. I think he belongs there in the, in the class of earlier speakers like Henry Clay and Sam Rayburn who brought just that to their role as speakers of the House of Representatives. He was a consensus builder. Um, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't going to be hostile or, or negative with people. He looked to build consensus. And I talked to him one time after he became speaker. And uh, frankly, I was saying that many people were saying he was not partisan enough and not political enough. And he said to me, you know, uh, people say that all the time. But he said, I didn't get to where I am by being that partisan. He said, I, I'm, that's not my style. And I, I'm, um, I think I'm in my office because I am a consensus builder and um, a leader in that sense. And I have to agree with him now that I look back. A Tom Foley retrospective was written and recorded in December 1994 and aired on Spokane Public Radio. We've posted the recording on the Inland Journal page of our website. Inland Journal airs every Thursday on Spokane Public Radio. The podcast is available anytime at spokanepublicradio.org. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts, NPR One, or Google Play. Thank you for joining us. I'm Doug Nadvornik.